I'm going to turn on a different light. So okay. I'll be Ooh. back. All righty. All right. But in, in, in all seriousness, if, if you guys want to get started, we, you know, maybe we, maybe we should, because there've been times yeah. when Mary literally gets bogged down at work. No worries. Or she's, she sometimes, she has to drive a distance to get to and from this museum that she works at. So if you want to start, you, you know, know we'll, we'll, we'll take it on the chin. Um, and, um, and, you know, she can always drop in, which might be kind of fun. We've had that happen in the past, too. Or Welcome she can just be dead to us. It's also an option. To Super Duper Stitches. Like I said, we can we can blame it on us or we can blame it on you. Whichever is most advantageous. Deal. Why well, I think you were starting to say something. <coughs> Welcome to Super Duper Stitches. The comedy the... podcast about, oh, you want to do the whole thing? Okay, you just, okay, just, I'll just, no, I'll no. sit back. I got no. to the, and you took it away at just the right moment. Comedy podcast about the science behind the spooky and the strange. I'm Jake. And I'm Wyatt. Welcome back, y'all. It is October. What do you do with a spooky-themed podcast that is spooky all around the year in the month of October? What you do is you change the format. You don't just talk about strange phenomena and try and break them down from a scientific perspective. You bring cooler people on the show and talk to them about their uh, genre-adjacent stuff. We managed to find them. Yes. And so today we're talking to the fine folks from Monster Movie Happy Hour. Hello, gentlemen. Good evening. Good evening. I I think you failed in your mission, quite frankly. There are a lot cooler people out there, but you know. I I would just say cooler is in quotation marks. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, so we currently yeah. have Dave Geister, Scott Cheeseboro. We may be joined by Mary Chalman. We'll see. But uh, fingers crossed. Yeah. Yep. So tell us a little bit about. So first of all, identify each of yourselves by voice, so the listener knows which one is which. Well, I will. Uh, Scott's responding to Mary's message, which says that she can't make it, unfortunately. Oh. Which is un- unfortunate. But but we will pretend. You know, we will speak for Mary. Great. Um, How about you that? can do that. Oh, Go Scott, ahead. let's do that. Let's speak you for Mary. <laughs> no, no, no. From the perspective of, of, of two uh, yeah, middle-aged, it's great just hat white guys, <laughs> yeah. let's speak for Mary. <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm Dave Geister, uh, uh, and as I oftentimes say on on our podcast, I'm a uh, picture book illustrator, a uh, history painter, and a longtime monster kid. Fantastic, awesome, and I have far less credentials than Dave. Not true, but he can't share some of them. I Ooh. I more or less am a person without portfolio. So, um, you PWP. know, like a lot of people, yes. when the pandemic hit, I, I had one job, let me go, and I had the other job, I quit. So, but, <laughs> but fortunately, I'm it. in a position where I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm okay. So... Now I just find ways to um, occupy my time in between looking at the one ads and then deciding whether or not I want to work at that place. <laughs> any any promising leads? Not not recently, but I you know in the past two weeks I haven't really been looking that hard. Yeah, and, our, and as our dear right, and as our dear Mary Mary says, and unfortunately she cannot be here with us tonight. But Mary is really sort of like the the shining light in our podcast. First of all, she's half our age. She brings a female perspective. She brings um, a different generational perspective, and she's awful damn funny at the same time. That's right. And also she makes, as we put it. Uh, Chalman strength cocktails and sort of the uh, I don't want to call it a gimmick because we were doing it long before we had a podcast and we'll do it long after we don't have a podcast but we have always paired our movies with particular cocktails and Mary makes Chalman strength cocktails Mm. and evidence of that can be found in any number of our episodes where between (laughs) say the opening and the closing you can tell that I've been imbibing Mary's cocktails (laughs) That's that's very in the spirit, no pun intended, of oh, the month. Oh, yes, um, exactly. Where uh, I would, Jake is now shaking his head with disgust as he is contractually bound to do. Yes, um, <laughs> but uh, we usually push the boat out a bit, especially towards our final episode in in October. But um, yeah, we're we're maybe siblings in that way as well with our our quaff segment. We love to do. Yes. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I guys, do you guys ever review your drinks? Well, we, we typically what we do is we rotate between the three of us, and then Ooh. after we mix it up, uh, the, we all make our judgment and assessment of whether or not it was good or bad or indifferent. I think Scott's been very kind. I think we can safely say that my cocktails <laughs> are the, say, least enjoyable of the lot. <laughs> 
Uh, well, and then, and then, it's, it, uh, then it's a toss-up between Scott and Mary. You have to do it like baseball. You have to do it like on a batting average. You know, not the, <laughs> even even yeah. Babe Ruth didn't hit a home run every time he went up. So, you know, it's, it's all that false modesty. <laughs> Is that, that's that's a play, and, and, pardon. Is that one of the drinks you make, or God, I really false should. modesty? Yeah. Oh my God! Hold on, we'll have to come up now. with one called false modesty. Yeah, we really would. Honestly, I'm kind of embarrassed that we didn't make one for tonight. But I was down in the deep dark lounge, uh, repairing whole sections that Hal Jr. in his wisdom had destroyed, and Ooh. so um, I That's... made it up literally just in time to be here. Now, Hal Jr. Was... Hal Jr. is is murderous and um, occasionally has a twisted sense of humor, uh, and and and. And at least periodically, has actually sabotaged our podcast. Oh, oh yes! God. Have you ever had the computer sabotage your podcast? In a manner of speaking. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Some people arrived at my apartment to tell me that I technically could not be found for two weeks' time after <laughs> engaging uh, function on our machine. Oh my god! Wow. I don't that, know, that could be good or bad. That's it like hell, junior level, um, you know, madness. That's what that is. <laughs> I I truly hope that our respective uh, devices are not ever able to, you know, join over a land network, let alone agree uh, Ethernet. Ethernet. Yeah, Come absolutely and completely sentient. <laughs> Yeah. Now, we've made several references now to Hal Jr., to the Deep Dark Lounge, uh, to listeners new to your show, Monster Movie Happy Hour. What uh, the hell are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. What are you going on about? We discovered early on, like within our first few episodes, that there were various things that were failing, you know, failing us within, (laughs) within within the episode, be it simple mathematics or sound design. And we immediately realized it was our computer's fault. Mm-hmm. Ah. And, uh, and, and of course, having then discovered the uh, the source of the problem, said computer has turned on us time and time again. Depending upon the source of information, whether it's old manuals or, you know, legend uh, created in the past just three years, the computer is called Hal Jr. Hal so, Jr. And of course... I don't know if we even, I'm not sure we even talked about, really about the podcast. I was so, trying to tee you up, but I mean, you know. Yeah, see, that's what I will. thought you were doing. So, you know, yeah. the, the podcast is the Monster Movie Happy Hour, and basically what we do is we pick a film, and we make an accompanying cocktail that, at least in name, has some, at minimum, a tangential connection Although often there is like simply that. a color connection. Yeah. So we, we uh, mix cocktails and we watch a movie and then we usually talk about after we've done the movie, we rate it between one and ten shot glasses. And then we talk about what we've done during the week and then we uh, or what we've seen or read or that kind of thing, I should say. And then we tell everybody what the movie is going to be next episode and that's pretty much the show fantastic now when you watch the movies i'm guessing you're watching it full length recording the entire thing your episodes are probably four to five hours long no we don't watch the movie during the podcast what we i should have clarified so we sometimes we watch the movie before we meet to record the episode mm. other times we say okay well we're gonna step away and we shut the recording off we go watch the movie and then we come back how do you how do you pick your movies randomly completely randomly we put these literally in a in a in a um world war an original world war one helmet we throw all the uh all the all the potential titles for you know the next several months into the helmet easily the best picking receptacle if you oh without a doubt absolutely do i do have a chamber pot we could use but uh, you know it's still having the past different methods for picking the movie so we you know it could be that several months from now we'll get tired of this and we'll go let's do this so let's just say we're a work in progress well we like like to change things up you don't want to get too stale. <laughs> Got to keep it spicy, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So, folks, if you want to hear a show that actually has a plan for their next episode before it happens, Monster Movie Happy Hour. 
That's true. That's true. That, that's one thing you can say about the it's, it's maybe the only thing you can say about ours. It's worth repeating, right? <laughs> Other than that, we're, we're, we're very earnest. We, we genuinely enjoy one another's company. And, and obviously, you two do as well and uh well, i know i know but we gotta pretend no but, but uh as we say you know uh you know three friends sharing two of life's greatest gifts monster movies and cocktails and uh, that's literally the baseline for everything we do so I love cheers. That. cheers to it sounds like this show is an outgrowth of what you guys were doing already but uh what are your respective backgrounds for folks at home who may not know all three of us have met through the v venue of both our interest and working career in history. So Dave and I oh, met each cool. other at, at a historic site here in Minnesota. And, wow. and then we connected with Mary later, who at that time was living out east and came for a couple of events. And then through the wonders of the internet kept up that friendship until she found a position <laughs> at this with the same with the state historical society for which we both worked and from there the rest is history as they say both ah, literally and that, figuratively i get it we both all have to some degree or another uh both literally and figuratively ah, wow have a, have a background in history. It, it, it just keeps coming one after another doesn't it yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's how we all met and that's really sort of the tie if you will or the common thread uh for all three of us usually if we're not talking about monster movies or horror films we're talking about oliver cromwell or you know something like that scott's not exaggerating oliver cromwell <laughs> comes up much more often than he should but but well, for the three of us monster movies really truly are horror movies really truly are a um a binder if you will Scott and I are just old enough that the monster movies we grew up watching, for a large part, were that batch of movies that hit, you know, uh, television in the 50s and mm -hmm. 60s. Okay. Uh, okay. And, you know, for late night television. And locally here, it was Horror Incorporated <laughs> in the late 60s, very early 70s, which was like 11 or 12 or something on, on Saturday nights. And that, that those were the you know, the classic Universal and some not so classic, but also from the 30s and 40s. Uh, so Scott and I definitely come from that, and we have a strong affinity for Hammer horror movies. Huh. What, what does uh, that qualify? Or how does, how does that the Hammer company? is the, an yeah, English yeah. movie studio uh, uh, that produced films mostly in the late 50s through the mid-70s. Christopher Lee and... Uh, Peter Cushing yep. are in a lot okay. of those films. Those are the two that tend to be noticed for being right. having very vivid color, use of color, and that cool. sort of thing. And uh, as as young young lads, uh, they also were noted for uh, voluptuous females. There you go. Hey, now that's, that's right. I, you know, I mean, as much as could be shown in a movie theater in say the you know early sixties or mid sixties. But uh, so f for Scott and myself, those. We'll always have sort of a, 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 a sweet spot, I think. Is that safe to say? Scott? Yeah. But we also are aficionados of a ton of movies that have come afterwards, up so to and including cool. some of the most recent releases. So we we tend to like it all to one degree or another, I, th I think. Is that safe to say, Scott? Yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, and we have a particular affection, at least Scott and I do, for a lot of these made-for-TV things from the 70s. Oh, sure. Because yeah. keep in mind, that we, given our age, we were, you know, in our early teens, tweens, whatever you will. Sure. When, when Salem's Lot, directed by Toby Hooper, when that stuff showed up on the TV screen, Scott and I were like at the right age. It's like, nice. oh my God. And he and I, and there's just a few years between us, but he and I also were kids who grew up building those Aurora monster kits, those plastic model oh, kits. Oh, too cool. They came out of the six. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and so we we truly kind of view ourselves as monster kids from that, from that, that era, era, I guess you yeah. could say. The, uh, Mary, of course, as we've said before, she's considerably younger, but but she's sort of an old soul in many ways. Mm. No, but uh -huh. I, I feel in many ways that, that all of us, the, the four of us here that are talking right now, are kind of living in, in what I think of as kind of a golden age. Mm. Uh, people decry, some people decry the, the state of horror movies. I, I, I happen to think that some of them are every bit as good as they ever were. They're, they're just different. Yeah. You know? That's interesting. I, I guess I had to cry it only because I 
uh, I'm such a wimp. I cry out. Uh, That's okay. I tend, I tend to pretend bravery. Scott and Mary and I together sat down and watched Hereditary, and all three of us cringed throughout the movie, thought this was spectacular, and we will never watch it again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It made us that uncomfortable. And, and for me, that's sort of the line. I, I actually prefer my horror, for the most part, to be slightly in the fantastical. Mm. Uh, I, I I prefer things that... Would you put like Pan's Labyrinth in that box? Would, would you Pan's Labyrinth to me is right in that line because it has a couple scenes of yeah. violence, you know, partly I coming know. from... Truly, the, from, truly brutal. Well, the whole thing with the bottle in the face, yeah. really, <laughs> that, that was more than I needed to see. And the Toro is really good at making us cringe. I love that man dearly, but... Those are a few scenes that I kind of wish he had reined it in a bit. I, I agree with you entirely. See, this is maybe I have a similar line where I like being spooked more than I like being like revolted. Let's put it that way. Disturbed. That's the thing. And I don't mind revolting scenes when they, <laughs> this sounds odd to say it. I don't remind, don't mind scenes of extreme violence when they are taken to like ludicrous. Yeah. Extreme. When it's clearly like fan, fantastically. Exactly. They're, they're comedic. Or they're being yeah. done by something in a rubber monster suit. Well, come yeah, on. Yeah. But I, I'm speaking purely for myself. Scott is a jaded old individual, you know. <laughs> I don't really have much to add other than the scenes of gore tend to have their intended effect with me. Right. I'm not one of those who looks forward to it, if you will. On the other hand, I do find it endlessly fascinating if you remove yourself from the drama how they do those things, how yeah. the special effects people do that, how they are able to simulate that. So anything about that, I you know, if, if there's a movie where I'm like, oh, I can't watch this, I will go back if there's like a behind the scenes of like, oh, here's how we smash this guy's head with a sledgehammer. It's like, <laughs> okay, I'll watch that. We had to get it in one take because he was uh, not going to walk away. <laughs> exactly. <You know. laughs> oh, my the, God. The other thing about watching one most take. of these movies is, and that I, I always have sort of this playing back in my head is like, you know, and it used to be part of the advertisements. Well, it's a movie. This isn't reality. Right. right. So you know that this isn't really happening and, you know, no one's really yeah. hurt and anything like that. So so that allows me to watch a lot of this stuff that it's like it's completely horrific or, you know, so it's like, OK. Yeah. Fundamentally, someone's vividly telling me a story right now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. See, see I, I, I think Scott really articulated much better than I did. And, and, and if I could just jump on this for a brief moment, I think Please. of... Uh, Martin Scorsese and Goodfellas and Casino and and there are, there are scenes of violence there that are exceedingly well executed. Mm. No, no pun intended. <laughs> His movies in particular bother me more than they used to uh, because they yeah. are depictions of violence that, that really can happen and are happening as we speak right now somewhere. You're, you're making me think of Refn too. I don't know if you've watched much of that guy's stuff. So we should actually be watching like Disney movies, shouldn't we? When it comes to <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to do that. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I know our dear Mary would be much better poised to talk about that. I'm not going to speak for her, but she's spoken at length about the catharsis of watching mm. scenes of violence after having witnessed actual scenes of violence. Uh. And, uh, and, and so for her, uh, the movies have, a, I think, a somewhat of a different feel. Is that safe to say, Scott? I'd say so. Uh, to one degree or another. Not that she's not picking up on the fantastical elements, but they're also a way of, of processing real-life horror. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For me, have my, my idea of real-life horror is getting, you know, uh, I don't know, the popcorn takes five seconds longer to pop in the, you know, popper than a short. Or, that, that, or you get the kernel stuck on the top of the mouth. You God, know, I the hate that. Show. I hate that. Exactly. <laughs> oh, boy. That's, yes, that's real-life horror. That's 911 status. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Puts me through the roof. Anyhow, I probably rambled on way too long. No, no, no. This is great. It's awesome. Well, I, I'm curious to know uh, if I might, if, 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 I, if I could just sort of turn things around here. The two of you, what is your connection to, say, horror movies, the horror genre, monster movies, any of that? A childhood influences, and we'll be taking extensive notes. So Yeah, um, so you've got your very large... We have a dossier. dossier. We, we keep <laughs> dossiers and everybody, yeah. Well, Scott does. Yeah. So speak slowly. Jake, you go first. Okay. So we I have uh, to Google horror movie. <laughs> yeah, we both we're um we grew up through the nineties. We're a couple years older than, than uh Mary, so very similar kind of cultural influences surrounding us all through that same time. 
We also are both biologists, and so we both grew up in that particular kind of channel of, of nerddom. We were very interested in science and, and the natural world. And for me, and I don't want to speak for you, Wyatt, but I know we have some things in common that I remember asking you at one point when we, we met in grad school. And uh, at one point being at your apartment saying, Wyatt, do you like Sasquatch? I was like, like him. <laughs> that, that's a great opening line, quite yeah. frankly. It was the first thing you ever said to me, too. He just... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's an icebreaker. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. What are you doing? It's usually a deal breaker too, is what it is. But. Yeah, yeah. That's how you know. But I, I yeah, so as someone interested in the natural world, I also was really, really intrigued by these unnatural things that might be out there in the natural world. So we're monster kids from the other side of it, the cryptozoology side more so, I think, where that idea of these creepy things very exciting i've I, halloween's my favorite holiday i love like all the spooky macabre uh that stuff's fun <laughs> and i really like the idea of it maybe being real out there somewhere so we as scientists you know, we try and like analyze things scientifically often that means debunking things but there's often a lot of room where we can't answer all those questions and oh, we wonder, i love oh. reading about that stuff oh god yes yeah jake says it well i'd say the tie-in to like horror movies and things like that would be I mean, certainly for myself, you'd like a spooky tale, especially one where you get the sense of the uncanny or could it could it have really happened? Could it really be out there? Things where it's really over the top. I mean, I, I think that's what makes like I haven't really I can't say I've actually read any of his stories, but I know the sort of lore of the genre of like the Lovecraft stuff of the sort of unexplainable, weird, otherworldly, omnipresent evil or or bad energy type entity out there that you know it's just like a twist of one's own perception whether it's real or not sometimes and i think that really aligns nicely with like what we talk about a lot on our show too which is you know whether or not you can empirically prove let's say ghosts people can still think that they've had an experience and for what it's worth within their experience of reality that can be very real oh, for that absolutely. person absolutely Right. And we all sort of secretly want it to be real, or, or maybe we maybe we openly want it to be real. Yeah, yeah. I think we all kind of <laughs> like the idea that there's some things we never quite understand. Does Does, does yeah. that make sense? That makes sense. Absolutely. Well, I mean, the the idea we we simply can't. And and trust me, I we need science. I mean, I believe in science. You know, I mean, this is, uh, and I know that things constantly change, but I love the idea that there are some things that to this day we still haven't quite figured out we've all had things happen to us that we simply can't quite explain it could be something mm -hmm. very tiny could be something very big you both have worked in uh, an unnamed historical location together somewhere here in minnesota that's right have you in your travels ever had an experience you cannot explain uh scott you go first <laughs> yeah please okay. because people are tired of hearing my goddamn voice <laughs> i have but not at the historic site and in fact we used to have visitors come to the historic site and ask about that specific thing oh did you ever have anything strange the site was asked and, Jeeves, I and i always used to take some to some degree or another some sort of perverse delight to saying no absolutely <laughs> nothing <laughs> so when i was about eight years old I had an experience and I really like cryptozoology and I like reading about these things and, mm -hmm. and what it amounts to for the most part, although I'm not totally, uh, you know, beyond skeptical, I, as I've gotten older and the evidence as an adult has gotten more and more persuasive, mm -hmm. I give, I give the chance of most of these things less and less as i've gotten older and older yeah yeah that's that's fair and and i've never been in the the my experience personally is i had an experience with what some people would have said was a ghost mm. um and i've never believed in ghosts in fact if you if you put me a list of all these sort of paranormal things ghosts would be way down on the list like yeah. no this is not true but i can't i don't have any explanation for this so I'll try and give you this story um, and give you a little bit of context for it, just because this is the one story that oh, I tell people. So, I'm excited. Uh, when I was eight years old, um, I lived in a small town in Michigan, or it seemed to be small, mm. uh, <laughs> uh, called Okemos, Michigan. This would have been about oh, 1968 or so. And we had family friends that I could ride my bike to, and they had what I suppose now you would call it a hobby farm, but was a small farm. They had mm. a 
they had a, a farmhouse and a barn and the house was built somewhere between like 1870 and 1900 the family lived there was a mom a dad and then three boys and the three boys were all within about three years of myself uh i'm gonna now gonna tell you stuff about the house that i some of it i saw Mm. some of it just gives you context to the house so there were some strange things about this house like there was an architectural area that was unaccounted for in the house. In other words, there was this area built around the chimney that was not accessible. There wasn't a doorway or you couldn't pull something open to get get at it, Mm. but it didn't account. You know, it was bigger than the chimney and it protruded. You know, I I don't know where it was exactly. I think it was in a closet, but it was extra space that didn't need to be there. Mm. Okay, there was also a closet that had claw marks or what appeared to be claw marks on the inside of the closet from the bottom to the top which my dad always said well there's somebody at some point could have put a dog in there and the dog could have done that a big dog and when they moved into the house um, the attic which was an old style attic that you could stand in it had butcher knives in the rafters, hung from nails in the rafters, and there was a the guy named Damocles just hanging out there all the time. Yeah. <laughs> now, 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 of course, when they moved in, they he just got extra points for that too. So that wasn't there anymore, and they were using the attic as normal people use the attic. Hanging knives and cutting up meat. Exactly, <laughs> normal <laughs> people. <laughs> that, uh, one of the other things was they had they claimed. I never saw this. They claimed they had the sort of classic poltergeist things where mm. they would go from uh, a, a kitchen and then they would come back and drawers would be pulled open mm-hmm. or cha- chairs would be pushed to the side, that sort of thing. They were pretty blasé about it. Um, uh, they they basically said, well, we've got a ghost and they didn't really make a big deal out of it. Seems like a pretty healthy attitude to have, actually. The only... <laughs> The only other thing that that about the house was there was a main staircase. You walked in through the front door, and then there was a main staircase that went upstairs, and that's where all the bedrooms and a bathroom were. Mm. And there was one stair, like the third or fourth stair, and of course this was a wooden staircase, and there was one stair where a nail would always pop up, and they had gone so far as to replace the nail with a lengthened wood screw. That popped up, take that board out, replace it with a new board and two brand new nails, and that one nail kept popping up. So... That that's that all gives you context about sort of the oddness of the house, if you will. Um, I stayed overnight there one night in the bedroom that was at the top of the stairs, and at the top of the stairs, the boys that I mentioned, one slept by himself, and then the other two slept together in one bed. So I ended up sleeping in bed with with this other boy. And I know I would testify in a court of law that. I don't know what time it was, and this is a long, long time ago, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. but I know that the adults had gone to bed or at least gone to their bedroom. So everybody I know was upstairs, and I know that right. nobody was out walking around or anything like that. Oof. So we're in bed, and you know we're talking to each other and whispering and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, there was a very slow and deliberate footsteps on the staircase going up, you know, mm. step step right step and and i don't remember how many stairs there were but i was like i remember saying to one of the boys like what what is that or who you know who's and they're like oh that's the ghost don't they said just be quiet and and i was like okay (laughs) and and so this (laughs) sure this step gets all the way to the top of the stairs then there's a big long pause and then it and then it goes <laughs> and then there's a phone down, notification and there then it goes down the staircase whoa <laughs> and that but that and that was it that was it nothing oh, else boy. happened that night that's all that happened you know so that's my that's my counter with the paranormal if you will i mean and i and again just in spite of that that encounter again i would put the likelihood of ghosts really low right. um but I don't have any explanation for what that was. And and therefore, I'm willing to concede, you know. Some weirdness. Yeah. So that's it. Spooktacular. Absolutely. I, <laughs> I think Wyatt said it well earlier that we, we don't, neither of us believes in ghosts, 
but we 100% believe everyone's ghost stories. Yeah. So like I never believe, I don't believe ghosts are a real thing. And then I hear someone tell about a haunting experience they've had. Like, oh, that happened. That's real. Oh, like, it's, yeah. it's just, it's weird stuff that you can't account for. It's super creepy. And I mean, especially as a kid, it's like listening to footsteps that you cannot account for coming up the stairs and then just I mean, going back down. That's even now. If I was well, like I said, that. these these kids were really blasé. And if if the stories <laughs> that both they and the stories I heard the adults tell my parents were true, it's like I they must have been exceptionally good parents uh, oh. to make sure that the kids weren't freaked out or. Or they were just extraordinary in that because I would have been like, yeah, like they, like I said, they would come and chairs would be like all rearranged or drawers would be opened, or or sometimes they would come home and like books would have been pulled off of the bookshelf and like set in different places in the house and you know if they were to be believed, nobody else had done it. Now of course one of the boys could have done it or one of the adults could have done it, but of course, but they all claimed that yeah. it wasn't truly creepy. I know. Jake's sister has one of the better ghost stories I've ever heard, which is on an earlier one of our episodes. Episode 45, um, I want to say. 45, it's, uh, look at this guy. Yeah. And I myself tell my creepy tale. Um, Jake, can you do it again? <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I, I want to hear these. I'll do the concise version of my own, which is basically uh, when I was about 11, we moved. I mean, we, we my family has always lived in the Springfield, Massachusetts area. So lots of old Victorian era buildings. So they weren't like creepy spaces to me by any means. And the house we moved into when I was 11 was like a perfectly comfortable and like, you know, you can almost call it like a happy house, you know, when a space just has like a nice kind of vibe to it. It wasn't like spooky basically for... Yeah. Lack of a better term, because I know how spooky spaces can kind of prime you as well to be like, "Ooh, there's got to be something yeah. going on here." You know, right. finding knives hanging from the ceiling <laughs> in the attic. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. It, it just begs, <laughs> begs, uh, yeah. you know, suspicion. But um, that's a detail I'd not heard before, Scott. Or I, I forgot about it. Like, oh <laughs> crap! That, your story just went up another notch. You know? <laughs> but, <laughs> that's good um, stuff. <laughs> But, you know, this was a, a very old house from 1872, and the house, you know, had a front staircase and a back staircase, and the front was very much the sort of, you know, formal owner's stair, and the back was much more the servant's kind of, uh, you know, utility staircase, which went down into the basement from the second floor down to the kitchen down to the basement and anyhow that would be the staircase that any of us would take when we were doing laundry to get the hamper back up to the second floor as quickly as possible and my mom uh would often push the hamper down the hall so you know, how, how would she put was this was is this if you don't mind no no she would push <laughs> it she would make sort of a groaning noise and um <laughs> rattle some kidding. chains she usually have chains yeah. on her shoulders and yeah she, she put her her laundry chains on her shoulders <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> okay all right yeah. <laughs> no but she would she would kind of like you know not exactly kick the basket down the hallway, but just sort of shuffle it down like that for whatever reason. Not every time, but sometimes. And I was going to bed one night and I heard this laundry basket sliding down the hallway and it stopped what sounded like right outside my door and nothing else. And so it's like 930 and I'm like, mom, because I'm just sort of like, what are you? What's going on out there? Why would you just like stop cold? No response. I get out of bed and look down the hallway. There's absolutely nothing there. <laughs> I just go back to bed thinking, you know, I'll just let this one go. It quickly proves itself that the attic, for whatever reason, is the creepier space in the house for some reason. Something about that space down to the landing feels like the space where you get like the heebie-jeebies rather than the basement, which is kind of funny because objectively I would say the basement is much creepier. It's long and dark and kind of unfinished, but you get down there and it just feels like that. It doesn't feel like there's something like waiting for you at the back. <laughs> so cut ahead to, I'm going to say, a, you know, a good while later, I'm up in the attic I forget even for what. Why it's an only child, so it's anyone's guess why he was Play, in the attic. Playing with rats. Right. <laughs> As one does. As one does. And um, I hear someone playing piano like wild. 
Wait, do you have a piano it. in the house? We have a piano in the house. It's okay. a baby grand piano, but I'm okay. really the only one who would play it. Sure. Um, and it's in sound like you, it was Your in mom the house. didn't play it? No one played it, and if they could, or if they sat down to try it, it wouldn't have sounded like this. This was clearly someone who really knew what they were doing. I couldn't even do this. Not that yeah. I'm great, but you know, it's just like, wow. And it sounded like in the distance, like almost like it was two houses up the street or something. And I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm getting my ear by the window. My goodness, I didn't know someone played piano in the neighborhood. That's so crazy. I go downstairs, I go outside to try to get like a better sense of like who's playing piano. I hear nothing. I go back up to the attic. There it is again, just sort of like just on the edge of what I can hear. And again, I'm kind of like, hmm, just kind of squirreled it away. Didn't really think anything more of it. Years later, I'm home from college and just out of nowhere, turn to my mom and I'm like, did you ever experience anything weird in the house? And she gets this weird look. (laughs) So on a completely separate occasion, she's in her studio back on the other end of the hallway. She's home alone. She's working in her studio. She hears a scrape dragging noise going from that end of the house to the (laughs) other end of the house. She could not explain. So independent corroboration of auditory (laughs) phenomena. And at the time, my mom was pre... uh, She's since had, you know, the Lego block stuck in her ears to replace the bone, slow calcification, what have you. So her hearing is probably better than all of ours combined now. But like at the time, she was deep into whatever kind of calcification process that was. So her hearing was not awesome, let's say. Mm-hmm. And she as well, when she was in the attic one time, I was off at school. She heard someone in the distance playing piano like crazy and could not explain that either. And the both of us look at each other <laughs> and go immediately downtown to the like records and look up all like the microfiche and everything that we can find about this particular building which was owned by a Mr. John Barry, who at the time with um, another guy, I'm forgetting the name, but basically they invented a kind of clip-on roller, uh, uh, not roller skate, a uh, skate, ice skate. So, you know, it, it made b- both of them a fortune and he had this house built. So it was his home. It turns out, and this is not necessarily drawing a line between the two, he was found dead in the foyer having fallen over the banister which is right at that front stair i'm not saying it's him but it's got all the little pieces but the creepiest part for me definitely is just having had that corroborated at all i think we both kind of freaked each other out by oh absolutely that's fantastic you sort of hear these things and you can't explain them and you go like well i'm just kind of having a hallucination you know like my you know your mind is the most powerful thing that you can't even fully control but yeah i certainly uh i would say that was my spookiest experience jake did i say every part of it have i forgotten everything i would like you to tee me up for the letter which i have the photo of and i will read it aloud when you get there the letter is a is a cool part it's it's unrelated to the sounds and stuff but it is uh it's an atmosphere setting thing for sure i have forgotten a critical part of the story indeed which is the former owners to us were previous owners the previous owners. Yeah. Uh, their whole sort of deal was to buy up these older homes and work them up and sell them again. And so as part of this, they knocked down a wall in the, basically a wall that would have separated the front sort of parlor from a rear sitting room into a really big kind of living room space. Mm-hmm. Sure. And this would have been one of these walls with like the sliding pocket mm-hmm. doors at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. That's all gone. Now you've got this sort of bigger room. And I believe that's where they found this letter, which was addressed to Mrs. John Barry in the 1870s. So the house was built in 1872, and I think this letter was like 1874 or something like this. 1880. 1880. Sorry, sorry. I, I have the photo over <laughs> right here, off. so I'm off. I, say, <laughs> I love the fact that Jake is like the... <laughs> He's got the... Uh, yeah. No, this is we're getting insights into our entire relationship here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott and I do the same thing for whatever it's worth. <laughs> and... Um, I think I'll... Anyway, maybe I can hand it off to Jake because he'll probably do a better job. Sure. All right, so I just... <laughs> from Malden, Massachusetts, September 7th, 1880 to Mrs. John Barry. I will give you until the 1st of October to tell me where you have put my mother. If you do not comply with my request, you will regret it. 
a word to the wise is sufficient. Yours truly. That's it. Wow. Oh, what the hell? (laughs) That's that's pretty awesome. Just (laughs) even if you didn't have any of the previous context to have a letter like that would be. (laughs) Yes. But then you you combine it with everything else. And there's a hell of a story there that. Yeah. Normally I had forgotten. That's a. That was a critical fail on my storytelling, uh, <laughs> you know, abilities. Cause I think you, you want to tee it up with that, which was probably given to us when we moved in. So I'm like at 11, like, great. Well, <laughs> this letter was found in the no. walls of this fucking house. Like in the walls, no less. In the oh, walls, that's fantastic. No Someone actively was trying to like, get this thing out of here. <laughs> what the interesting. Oh, that's good. So there you have it. Well, I have nothing to compare to that. I feel pretty lame. Uh, <laughs> Nonsense. I don't feel that, as though I've been blessed. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, but, but I mean that—that's—that's that's a genuinely compelling, creepy story. And as well, I mean Scott's story to me, it's like I—I I, I can imagine myself as a kid. That seems very real, uh, especially that. because the family takes it all in stride, and it been taken in stride for a while. As far as myself, wow. my wife and I spent five weeks living in a house on the battlefield at Gettysburg in Pennsylvania. Ooh, boy, oh boy. We were the artisan residents at a property that was right literally in the middle of the battlefield, the Klingel Farm. Huh. If you look at a map of Gettysburg and the Emmitsburg Road, you see the Klingel Farm. It's near what's called the Peach Orchard. Mm. Lots of men died in fighting around that building. Mm. Some of them died inside the building. Their blood was on the floor. The, the woman of the house had to scrape the blood up and wipe the blood up. And there were a lot of cannons to both the left and the right of the house. Okay, wow. just to give this some context. Right. Now, my wife and I have never had anything happen remotely that qualifies as supernatural other than just feeling the thing on the back of the neck every now and then, you know, when you're in a place and you're making a connection. But Got the heebie-jeebies. You, you come to battlefields with an expectation. I mean, if you're a historian, mm. you know, well, this is where the first Minnesota charged. They lost 82% of the men in 15 minutes. And so if you happen to be there at the same time of day, the same time of year, it's really hard to not feel something. But you yourself are bringing a lot of that baggage with you. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're primed. Exactly. I was going to say, you're priming the pump. And uh, we had been in this house for a month at this point, and not a damn thing had happened, even though people who had lived there previously as part of the Artists in Residence program on the battlefield through the National Park Service, people had said, oh, yeah, this happened to me, this happened to me, and we had nothing. We were almost a little disappointed. (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, even though we've never had anything happen previously. Anyhow, but, but the point is this. One night, uh, I'm, and I'm going to guess it's about 2 o'clock. I don't know if either one of us looked at our clock, but finally something, something happened. There was a booming sound. You need to understand that uh, the Emmitsburg Road that runs past the, uh, the, the Klingel House is not a major thoroughfare with lots of trucks tearing up and down it. When the sun goes down at Gettysburg, that town goes pretty damn quiet. Right. So you don't get a lot of traffic on the uh, on the roads that we happen to be living on or near. Uh, not that it wasn't a truck, but I'm just I'm just as a point of reference. Four right, weeks, right. nothing. One night, boom. A few seconds later, boom. Whoa. I don't remember the number. Uh, maybe five or six times. Wow. Okay. Enough to where bo- woke, woke us both up and we looked at each other. Mm. So what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. You know, is it the HVAC system in the house? We'd heard nothing to this point. There's no reenactment taking place at 2 o'clock in the morning on the battlefield because the battlefield at Gettysburg National Park Service shuts down. The lights mm-hmm. are out. You can't be out there. Trust right. me, I've been out there when you weren't supposed to be. You can't be out there, all right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing happening out there that's supposed to happen. But this happened several times in succession and then stopped. And we just didn't know what to make of it. I mean, we were almost kind of giddy, you know? Yeah, sure. And I was a little, un- I'll be honest, I was unnerved. I've never had that feeling before. Mm. But eventually we drift off and the next morning. We basically, basically said, did this, did we hear, did this happen? Yes. Yeah, right. So... 
I don't know. I have no idea what happened. I, all, all I can say is that you know you, you you can draw your own conclusions, and it's easy and it's very easy to say, oh yes, it was cannon fire that we were hearing from some mm-hmm. vortex mm-hmm. from a hundred and mm-hmm. you know whatever the years one hundred and fifty five years later, or right. something else was going on near the house. But I've heard cannon fire. I mean, I fired multiple. Scott and I had the privilege of working on a set where we got to fire cannons twice a day oh, wow. and nobody shot at us, which is a pretty good deal. <laughs> well, it's because you hit them. Yeah, exactly. You know what that's all about. So I, I don't know what happened. Wow. But, but it, it, it unnerved me a little, but it, it also seems strangely appropriate. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say it was ghosts. I'm not going to say it's supernatural. I simply don't know what happened. Right. And and I still don't have a good answer. That that that's all I can say, you know. And so you can draw from that whatever you want. No, that's very that's a very fair uh, way of putting it. A few years ago, I worked at the Minnesota History Center in St. Paul, doing a, doing a World War One uh, painting, a mural project in the rotunda, which involved me staying there till after the public had left, so I could actually get some work done. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise I was talking to people and handing them the brush and letting them help me paint it and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mural is no longer there. I mean, it was meant, meant to be temporary. and It's now at the Minnesota Military Museum. Uh, and, and that was not a plug. But here's the point. <laughs> so as I would be working there in the evening after the public had left, I, would, I, I got to talk to the, the, the staff who would have to go through. And uh, they were like the maintenance personnel some of whom had been there for decades. And a number of them said, you, know, you realize this, this space is haunted, this building mm. is haunted. I said, what? Mm. A number of them said, yeah, well, most of us won't go into the library at night. Mm. And nobody could ever explain to me why they didn't, but there was a reason that they mm. all did not like going into the library at night. Some of them tried to show me pictures of what they said were apparitions in the building. Mm. I'm seeing a weird squiggle reflecting on the marble floor. <laughs> they're seeing something else, and they're feeling mm-hmm. it. I mean, they were very earnest. Mm-hmm. The fact that at least three individuals at various points came up to me and shared this with me was very curious. Mm-hmm. You do know what was on the side of the Historical Society building. Well, fill me in, Scott, because there there's a connection there, right? There, there was, was a hospital, a, right? There was a hospital there that, for, yeah. that, that was there for many years. Right. Decades. Wow. Yes. And so, once again, nothing that happened to me, but people who were firmly convinced that something had happened to them. Wow. And so, as always, I'm sort of the outsider looking in. Paranormal proximate. Yeah, exactly. But, but I think we all would agree that, you know, even if we don't believe, we've encountered people who truly do believe. And yeah, so they had some kind of an experience. The cumulative effect you know, suggests that there's <laughs> either there's something we don't understand or we all have this amazing capacity to fill in the blanks, you know, and yeah, um, I'm more inclined to believe that that's the case, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it, it deep down, a lot of us do have sort of a yearning to live in a world where not everything's been explained. Right. So no, that's kind of where I come down on it. Yeah, but, you know, I'll be honest, if I, you know, if I walked outside of my house and encountered something I could never explain, I'm firmly convinced part of me would be thrilled at the prospect. Oh, we're, you're in good company. Absolutely. I, would, uh, you know, yeah. I don't need answers. In fact, for me, getting back to horror movies and monster movies, I really don't like it when movies over-explain why the thing happened. Right. No, you can't explain it. No. Don't explain you it. it. You, you, you literally kill half the enjoyment of the storytelling when you lay it all out and say this is why this thing happened we go through most of our lives not really knowing why most of the things that encounter us happened we have vague Mm -hmm. ideas but most of it's too big you know and -hmm. i prefer my horror movies my supernatural stories to sort of live in 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 that realm it makes it very exciting and I, i i mean to the point of movies not explaining too much when they explain too much they tend to get more and more in the weeds to the point where it makes less and less sense i think when they leave it yes. open-ended i think too many times on this show we have specifically cited annihilation as a favorite like science fiction movie that mm. does it right with a, yes. with a very an explanation that's vague enough that's like all right whatever cool and then so it, you just take it from there 
And one of the most terrifying mutant bear sequences I can oh ever my goodness. think of. Oof, that movie is spectacular, and I'm just oh. surprised that more people Couldn't didn't get into it. Yeah. I yeah, know. what more do you want? I know. Maybe they wanted more people wanted an explanation. Well, people maybe they did. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that's that's quite possible. But once again, I'll, I'll just say it right here. I, you know, I think I don't want the explanation. They got two Oscar Isaacs. What more do you want in a movie? <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. That's true. <laughs> now we have managed to somehow organically work our way back to monster movies, which is miraculous given the four of us and our <laughs> propensity for being on track. Oh my God. So my last question for the both of you while we're here is uh, what, if you can't answer this, what is your favorite monster movie and why is it John Carpenter's The Thing? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you pretty much, I don't know, Scott, if you don't mind, I mean, for me personally, you nailed it right on the head and it is The Thing. See, you could, could, Dave, if you were really clever, you could say, well, it is The Thing, but I'll tell you about my second favorite movie. (laughs) Uh, right but see there's a problem because i have so many second favorites but i will always <laughs> default to the thing and why is it the thing uh it's isolation mm-hmm. it's even though i try to be optimistic of my personal life there's a nihilistic element in that movie that mm-hmm. is irresistible mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh it's not entirely explained there's still mm-hmm. plenty of mystery there that's wilford brimley you damn right it's wilford brimley <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, it is the thing. It's a yeah. great cast. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I tell you what, I, I will I have not seen it this year and I probably won't watch it until at least next year. There are a few movies that I only allow myself to watch periodically mm. because I do not want to um become complacent or blase. I, I like to wait a few years so that I'm surprised every time. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, and, and that is a perfect example to me of, of a movie that I I savor. It's like a really fine scotch. You just mm. break it up periodically. You pour out a wee dram and then you put it away, you know. There you go. But, but that was for me. I'm not, Scott, what is yours? I should preface by saying, first of all, I'm, I'm one of those people who generally doesn't like um, one of those, what's your favorite movie or what's your top mm. 10 favorite movies? Simply because, as I've, I usually, my usual response to this is, is like, okay, I can give you a top 10 list or I can tell you what my top three, but if you ask me a year from now, mm. two out of those three movies might be totally different. It's just whatever the brain chemistry I have right at this particular moment and go, right. okay, well, I really like these because there's too many movies out there that I like for one reason or another, but one that I will, Oh, is sort of a go-to, you know, sort of like mm. whatever. For although I'm not particularly fond of this term, but sort of a comfort film is. <laughs> I do like um, speaking. We spoke earlier about Hammer films, so I like mm. this movie from 1959 called The Mummy, yeah. which um, which is a really, uh, if you've watched any Mummy movies, it's very traditional in that you know these people open a tomb. There's a curse. The mummy fulfills the curse, and it, and it's all about them figuring it out and then stopping the mummy. It's it's no great shakes as it's not particularly clever, but the performances are really good and the photography is really lush. And I don't know, there's something about the familiarity of that story being well told. Oh yeah, that makes good sense. Any kind of movie where, quote unquote, the good people are dispatched. That's that's an interesting psychology there it's like well i really enjoy seeing this guy get his throat crushed by this mummy even though it's not his fault Um, but you know on the other hand you know we we now uh, as opposed to 1959 we have a more or at least most of us have a more sophisticated view about uh, the British Empire or the Americans going mm. all over the world and uh, doing these archaeological digs and taking all this stuff. So it's kind of like now it's kind of like, yeah, you go, mommy, you show them what they did by, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> Scott, am I all correct? stuff from your country. <laughs> you know? Scott, is, is, is that the French poster for that movie? It is. Yeah. I do, the, yeah. The, the, poster back the, is the French yeah. version for the mummy. It's it's a wow. wonderful that that's with Christopher Lee as the mummy and of course our dear Peter yep. Cushing, mm-hmm. yep, uh, and and a great drawing room 
<laughs> in really good yeah. smoking jackets. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. But like I said, you know, if you ask me next year, I might pick something else. But as Dave said, it's, it's, and as you, Jake, it's, if I had to, if somebody put a gun to my head and said, what's your number one film, bar none, it would be the thing. It really would. Mm, nice. There's a re- I mean, this is the reason that it'll never show up on our show, because there's really no point in, in a movie where all three of us will gush over it. You yeah, know what I mean? Right. Yeah. There's no drama. It's just a love fest. And we've done this a number of times. We do it to a lot of Del Toro movies and, mm. and, and whatnot. Yeah. You know, and we also, at the same time, try to avoid being very negative when we look at movies. Mm. We really do. There, there, there's a reason that towards the end of every episode, we raise a glass to the mm-hmm. artists who bring us the movies. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we appreciate all their hard work. And it's true. Nobody sets out or very few people set out to make a bad movie. Mm-hmm. And when they do, uh, it's not actually very enjoyable. Sharknado. Well, right, right. You know, we've, we're up to almost 90 episodes at this point. And as time has moved on, we have selected a few movies where it was like, okay, well, let's pick this movie simply because we won't be consistently rating at, you know, between seven, eight, and nine. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens if we pick something that's like, for example, two movies come immediately to mind, like Jesse James versus Frankenstein's daughter. <laughs> and um, there's a movie called End of the World. Christopher Lee. There's Christopher oh, Lee. And, we absolutely uh, love And Mary, Mary, Mary's soulmate is Christopher Lee. Yeah. But, oh, nice. But, you know, really, truly. And, yeah. and there's Very a lot of actors eyebrows. and actresses who are in particularly subpar films who mm-hmm. they their performance is just fine but the rest of the movie is mm, less than grand so mm-hmm. um so we have picked films that you know we haven't been glowing necessarily about mm-hmm. we're not i don't want to i don't want to give anybody the opinion well certainly i'm not david mary maybe but we're not pollyannas and always nice mm-hmm. so you know. No, but 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 we do. Um, even if there's a movie that w- we generally agree just did not work very well as a cinematic experience, for whatever reason, we still appreciate the hard work that went, went into making it. Uh, yes. mm-hmm. because we all know what it's like to pour your heart and soul into a project. I don't care what totally. that project is. We all know what it's like right. to do that, and. Oftentimes, for a variety of circumstances, often, you know, beyond your control, it simply does not work. So we would rather err on the side of being positive than negative. Definitely appreciated. And in the same sense that these movies are often kind of a cozy blanket, like whether it's a nostalgia thing or just a fun thing to just enjoy, I would argue also that uh, the podcast Monster Movie Happy Hour serves a very similar role where it's just a very, a very cozy, fun, pleasant listening experience. I thought these people seem really nice. I met you two today. You are very nice. So you listen to it; <laughs> it just feels nice. Thank you. It's That's a great time. We, we would we would say the same thing about about you. Right. So <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> uh, where where can folks find your show? They can find us really through you know most of the traditional podcast uh, uh, venues, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you just type in monstermoviehappyhour.com, mm. you'll go to an old-fashioned website that we occasionally update, <laughs> and you'll find all of our episodes there, which will in turn link you to uh, Buzzsprout or you know um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever. So we be- we're about to start season four, Ooh. which is kind of fun considering we just kind of did this on a lark. Yeah, right. And, um, yeah. You know, we're, we're we're still we're still doing it, and um, and I'll say it once again. One of the reasons we enjoy doing it is, first of all, it allows us to do what we were doing previously, and secondly, we get a chance to meet really interesting folks like yourselves. So, thanks thanks for inviting us on. Who us? Well, we'll have to do it again sometime. I think. Yeah, sure. This is super love fun. It, love it. And while Mary is unfortunately dead to us, she's also a great addition to the show, too. Uh, everyone should go for sure check it out. She might like that idea. She might. And you, and you realize at this point the three of us are going to show up at the Bell Museum now. So we'll, we'll be looking for yeah, you. Unexpectedly. Like yeah, five unexpected. minutes before close. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be wearing trench coats. We get the full tour. There's always yeah. someone five minutes yeah. before close. They, they come in, they've never been before, and they want to see the mammoth. It's like, guys... There's so many other opportunities to come in and see the mammoth, but uh, it's it's there. 
<laughs> but in all, uh, really, th- thanks, thanks for having us on. It, it's been most enjoyable. Oh and we've had gosh. a great time too. We this would be a great a time pleasure. for us to uh, do a drop of a uh, what do you call it pickups where we later will record uh, ads for our sponsors. But for now, we'll say thank you and uh, and good night. Thank and you and good night to you, sir. Right. Yes, cheers. cheers. Here we are. We're in the advertisement part now. It's the uh, same day now. It's the same day. And uh, before we depart today's episode, I, of course, would be kidding myself if I didn't mention the Gnarlish Brewery in Western Massachusetts, now infamously incorporating cylinders, tubes, energy, expectation, creative design, and execution <laughs> to create a liquid that can only be described as beer. beer. That's right. I'm talking about four phantoms. There are a ton of forthcoming four phantoms features for the month of October. So here are just a few. Uh, Four Phantoms has introduced two new beers, False <laughs> Night IPA and oh. Gothtoberfest. <laughs> nice. Uh, you chew the math on how those taste. Hint, very good. <laughs> I assume. <laughs> we haven't had them yet. I actually, it's been, I, when this is coming out, I haven't had anything from Four Phantoms for a full year. <laughs> I think Drew is very um, wanting to amend that. We'll find out next week if that's true. We'll find out next week if that's true. <laughs> All Thursdays in October, that's the 6th, 13th, and 20th, Four Phantoms will host Trivia Nights. Starts at six thirty. Five dollars $5 to enter. Winning team gets cash and a Four Phantoms gift card. So warm up with an episode of Super Duper Stitches that day and then go in that night and do some trivia. Exactly, exactly. The, uh, of course cover all of trivia during each of our episodes mm-hmm. saturday october 22nd four phantoms will host a jack-o'-lantern contest mm-hmm. again five dollars to enter but the winner takes home all of the jack-o'-lanterns and eat them <laughs> sounds like you'll be carving your jack-o'-lantern away from the uh, establishment dropping it off friday evening between mm-hmm. 4 and 9 p.m then saturday from noon to 7 p.m yourself and any other customers will vote for their favorites tickets to vote are given out with pints purchased so nice come thirsty uh there's heaps more going on at four phantoms this month uh so be sure to head over to fourphantoms.net to check things out and sign up and thank you for phantoms thank you very much and uh, I think that pivots very, very organically into uh, this yeah, seamlessly organic computer, which we should Ooh. just go ahead and fire up. Ah, this, of course, is the NC AAA device that Jake has just turned on. A, an evil computer type thing that we use to do what we do on this show, which, of course, is <laughs> essentially now only run the pander fang- uh, function. I guess on the month of October, all the punder function. Functions. <laughs> um. This is where we take this computer, we plug these tendrils into the backs of our skulls, like so. There it is. And that allows us to access the dark ether, wherein we can calculate the creatures, cryptids, creepy crawlies, things that all of our Patreon patrons need to personally be on the lookout for. So today, we'll focus on Mac, Mac L. L. From Del, Del Valle, Valle? The, Texas. Del Valle, Texas. Mac, Mac. Mac L. Watch out for... Ow, ow. It's the name of a monstrous creature from Paraguayan mythology. It's one of the cursed oh. sons of Tao and Karana. It's one of the central mythological creature, creatures among the Guarani-speaking cultures. Mac, if you ever see a voracious sheep-like creature with a massive set of fangs, mm. pretty much a moot point, but turn around and begin walking the other way. Yeah, Especially if it is howling an ow, ow, ow sound. <laughs> And the original um, one of these is said to have profound reproductive powers. Ooh. It's sometimes identified as being the Guarani spirit of fertility. But it made many offspring, so there's a lot of these you got to look out for. And I can hear you all at home going, ow, chicka, ow, ow. It's not that funny. <laughs> um, real danger. Not something to be laughed at. If you do happen to climb a tree to escape the ow, ow, it will simply circle the tree, howling incessantly and digging at the roots. And it may also eat your clothes. So Until the tree falls. <laughs> so, Mac, keep an eye out for that. And thank you very much for your support. Thank you very much. On Patreon. Now we will focus our attention to Dana, Dana S. S. Of Kerrville, Kerrville, Texas. So, also, also in Texas. Texas. Watch out for Anka. Giant bird of West Asia. <laughs> It has variant names, which I will not read. Because um, we're bad at pronunciation. that you're seeing it because a female has eight wings. The male has a number of wings <laughs> that are multicolored with a white ring around its 
very long neck. <laughs> Lives in the mountain peaks of the Caucasus Mountains of Russia. It looks so if you see a great big many winged or winged bird monster that looks like it was made in MS Paint, that wow. is a sign of oh, trouble. Oh, there it is. Oh, okay. I was my goodness. That I makes thought more this sense. was all yeah. a strange head. <laughs> I yeah, uh, I thought this was all head here. Yeah, but that's the wing overlapping with part of the face. Dan, if you ever find yourself on high mountain peaks, especially in the Caucasus Mountains of Russia... It may carry away your children. It will scream and carry your children away. Some people think it may have been, uh, you know, based on the idea of herons in Egypt, possibly surviving giant heron, <laughs> which may have inspired the Bennu bird symbol. <laughs> may also be associated with the Simurg. <laughs> and that's all you, I think you need to know about the Anka. That's about it. Um, and thank you so much for your support. Thank you very much. If you much. yourself would like to be as cool as Mac and Dana, you can do so at any of our three tiers. Uh, we have a lot of fun stuff, including bonus content. You can become a glug suck. <laughs> access to our uh, Discord, uh, some merch discounts. Just a lot of great things you should check out. And uh, yeah, if you. We keep losing people, so if you're one of the first hundred, you got a chance. You'll get one of these great glasses. We're both drinking out one of these amazing tulip-style glasses with our logo on it. I will mail it personally directly to you as fast as I can. Jake and I are trapped in a quantum vortex of always forever giving out these glasses. <laughs> yeah, I uh, really didn't count on it working out the way it did, but hey, it's to your benefit, listener. Exactly. And let's unplug this thing from our brains. Ah, it feels much better. Yes, it does. And now back to leaving. Bye.